working drummer. Now kick it. Hey everyone, Zach Alberta here for Working Drummer Podcast. This and is the this Working, week's working Drummer, drummer Podcast. Working Drummer is Colin Agnew. Perspectives, Colin has been based in Atlanta since college and is Advice, one of the busiest drummers in the region. Uh, he's created a, a niche for himself business. as the go-to guy for artists and producers who are on the more rootsy, acoustic side of things, uh, whether it's singer-songwriters, bluegrass, folk, Americana, Dixieland, anything along those lines. Uh, he's also extremely well-versed in different types of Latin music and hand drumming, and uh, one of the things that sets him apart is that he incorporates those styles and those instruments into the drum set in some really cool and unique ways. Uh, he's made a lot of friends around here as a result, and is just constantly busy gigging, touring, recording, really doing it all, and uh, every time I see him play, he's behind a different setup of drums, hand drums, gadgets, toys, noisemakers of all sorts. Real quick before we get to that, if you haven't already, you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and uh, we want to see what you all are up to out there. Uh, so you can post your pics and videos of uh, the gigs you're doing using the hashtag Working Drummer, and uh, we'll be looking for them and uh, reposting them. We're sponsored this week by Aquarian Drumheads, makers of the multi-purpose Super Pad, both a great feeling pad for quiet practice and a responsive drum mute for low-volume music making. Every drummer needs to turn down the volume sometimes. The Super Pad by Aquarian Drumheads can keep the drummer playing all of the time. You can check out the Super Pad and the rest of Aquarian's heads and accessories at AquarianDrumheads.com. So here we go. Hope you enjoy my talk with Colin Agnew. You just returned from South by Southwest. Correct. Who were you there with? I was there with a band from Athens called Cicada Rhythm. And they're describe a, that band. They're a kind of a folk duet. Um... She plays upright bass. She's a Juilliard graduate. Who is she? Her name is Andrea DeMarcus. Uh-huh. And her better half, or lesser half, <laughs> uh, named David Kersless. Um They're actually both from Atlanta, but have lived all over and met up in Athens. And uh, he plays guitar, and they both write the music, and they both, you know, they kind of flesh it out together. And he sings a little bit like Oliver Wood. Yeah, yeah. You say he's he's got a little bit of that going on, and she sounds like Billie Holiday. Wow! So it's <laughs> it's kind of a, a pretty interesting vocal combination. Yeah. Um, the writing styles are very different, but together it's sort of a sort of a sort of a cool Americana folk thing. And they they usually play duo, but for kind of special occasions or bigger things, they they bring you into yeah, to play they'll, set. They'll they'll bring me out or. Um, I don't, th- I don't think we've ever played as a quartet. Yes, yeah, we have. Sometimes they bring a pedal steel player. Okay. Um, a guy named Pistol they like to use. <laughs> <laughs> I like him already. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so what was South by Southwest like? Had you had you been before? No, I'd, I'd made a very concerted effort never to do that before. <laughs> they uh, made it worth your yeah, while. By, by design, I never wanted to, to submit myself to that insanity. Mm-hmm. And it was about what I expected. I don't think I was really surprised mm-hmm. by any of it. And everyone I've talked to for the past 10 years says, you know, it's worth going, but damn, is it fucking crazy out there. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Thousands of bands. Just thousands. Right. And the thing, I guess the one thing that did surprise me out there was that um, the amount of shows that happen, are, most of them are not South by Southwest officially sanctioned shows. Okay. So they have showcases and they have stuff happening officially on their roster all over Austin mm-hmm. at literally thousands of venues. Those same venues, as well as a bunch of others have shows all the time anyway, during that week that are not officially sanctioned. So, yeah. you know, I saw, I met some, I met up with some friends out there that were out uh, on the road with their band. Um, a group called the banditos from Birmingham were out there and they're, you know, they've, they've done European tours. They're, they're a bigger act mm-hmm. and they, I met them out there and they're like, yeah, we have 10 shows in the next four days, but none of them are South by shows. Oh my God. Like, how, how, I don't know how you end up doing that. but So when, when you hear somebody say we're playing at South by Southwest, it, it could very likely be just a show that's in yeah. this, in the same place at the same time. Yeah. I think <laughs> South by Southwest just has become synonymous with that week in Austin, Texas. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If you're in Austin, it's, it's hard to escape the madness that is South by Southwest. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm glad I did it once. And I, I, there's probably not another group that I would want to go out and do that sort of thing with. Um, 
they're very easy to get along with on the road, mm -hmm. you know, and we all fit into one car, which is nice. Yeah, perfect. Was there anything that you were kind of pleasantly surprised about by by South by in, in terms of bands you saw or? Uh, I, well, absolutely. It's it's hard not to see something that you've that you've never heard of before, right? But it's impossible to get to see everything you want to see, right? You know, it's just the the entire city is swarmed with bands at all times, yeah. And no one plays for longer than forty five minutes anywhere, right? <laughs> right. But um. And tell me about the. I remember you saying you you kind of worked a you you worked a little deal with uh, with Cicada Rhythms record company about about a backline drum set. Yeah, they, I mean, <clears throat> their label is one of the few doing any kind of tour support anymore. Mm -hmm. um, and they're based mostly out of Athens. They're called Normal Town Records, mm -hmm. which is a sort of like a subsidiary of New West Records. Okay, and they. You know, I, I'm sure they've sent bands out there before, but they talked to me ahead of time. Like, okay, for all your South by shows, I want to make sure that you have a back line. I'm like, okay, great. Right. <laughs> because those load-ins can be maddening. Right. And it's not just the load-in. It's like, I mean, you, you were talking about drummers you'd heard of who were walking half a mile or something with, oh, their, yeah. with their gear. <clears throat> yeah. The, the one, I mean, one of the biggest downsides to South by is that there's no artist parking anywhere. Oh, so it was common, like... You pay thirty five dollars to to park in a parking lot half a mile away, and then you haul all your gear mm -hmm. up for a half an hour show. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, <laughs> I'm not really selling this too much. <laughs> you should totally do it. Next well, no, my 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 point is that like you you were able to you know finagle it so that you didn't have to deal with that as as a drummer as a hired person mm -hmm. to you know. So drummers, if you're ever playing South by Southwest. Get with the record company and, and <laughs> you know put the put the bite on them hard. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and follow up with every venue you're playing to make sure that they have a kit there ready ready to go. Ugh. Were you confronted with any disasters kit wise? Um, I I'm not a disaster. The first show we played because, like I said, Cicada Rhythm is a is a folk act. It was a for the Folk Alliance showcase, mm -hmm. and um, I don't think they'd had a drummer all weekend or all, all week when we got there and I was like yeah I play drums I mean I don't really want to load all my stuff in but that was actually the easiest schlepping uh, situation it was just parking right outside but, mm -hmm. but the kit they had in there was missing you know half the hi-hat stand and you know, it, you know, it was it was it was pretty much what you'd expect I see you all over town playing with like any anytime I get wind of a sort of uh, singer-songwriter thing, or roots vibe, or any of that. It's it's I'm you know I I look at the band. I say, oh, that sounds cool. I look at their YouTube. Invariably, it's Colin Agnew on drums. <laughs> You're, he's everywhere with this stuff. So how did how did you? I mean, you. My point is, you seem to be the go-to guy for in, in Atlanta for the acoustic singer-songwriter, mm -hmm. uh, rootsy, bluesy, jazzy sort of that whole vibe. Yeah. So is is that something you intentionally carved out or I can't say that was by design no I can't say that was an intentional thing um most of it probably precipitated um by hooking up with uh Adron's project about mm -hmm. 5 years ago okay which was you know that that just sort of happened through a couple other bands that we knew together and she was singing back up with another local act and we were both on the same showcase <clears throat> and uh yeah, I guess through that, you know, I started doing more shows at Eddie's Attic and being put on bills with other songwriters and that, you know, network right. of people just sort of generated a lot of work. And for people listening, we should we should describe who Adron is and what she does and what Eddie's Attic is and the role that that sure. place plays. Sure. Um, so, well, let's start in a more broad sense. Eddie's Attic is sort of like the songwriter haven in Atlanta. Right. It's, it's the listening room in Atlanta. Started back in the early 90s primarily by a guy named Eddie Owen, um, hence his attic. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he he's, has since moved on about six or seven years ago. I guess he moved up to Duluth, and he has a spot up there called the Red Clay Theater. Mm -hmm. But he has always been a huge um, supporter of songwriters. So people who started there, you know, John Mayer started there, Sean Mullins got his start there, Sugarland got their start there. Mm -hmm. The list goes on and on and on. I mean, the place has been there for 25 years. Right. Um so that spot I started playing at a lot with 
a local songwriter named Adron, mm-hmm. who is, I still think she's absolutely the best songwriter I've ever met and the most uh, adventurous and daring with with her creativity. Yeah. But she does a, heavily influenced by like the 60s Brazilian songwriters like Caetano Veloso, mm-hmm. uh, Luis Bonfá, guys like that. So yeah. she, she's a classical guitar player, self-taught, self-taught uh, singing in Portuguese and French fluently. Right. Also English, but her songwriting is, it always um, gets me into to places that I don't really have the opportunity to get into otherwise. Mm-hmm. So this like folky, um, poppy, sometimes funky, uh, very improvisatory at times, but also very crafted and and delicate music. Yeah, that also incorporates all of this Latin and world music that I have been kind of immersed in for. 15 years. Right. She has a total Brazilian vibe, mm-hmm. although it's it's not straight up. It just, it's tinged, definitely, right. with, with that. Right. Um, and I was blown away. Not, I mean, you mentioned she's an incredible singer and an incredible songwriter, but her guitar playing is absolutely insane, and <laughs> her harmonic language is huge, and mm-hmm. the, the stuff she chooses to play under what she's singing... Right. Um, just really knock yeah. me out. Watching her craft a song is is one of the. Mo- I mean, it's a it's on par with uh, with the insanity that is watching her do vocal stacks in the studio. Mm-hmm. You know, her like you said, her harmonic language, her ear for harmony is is it comes more naturally to her than anyone else I've ever met. And right, it's, it's very. Oh, impressive and kind of creepy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <I don't> <laughs> yeah. And she's got you singing some backup too, right? Yeah. All right. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah. The learning curve there was not easy. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we, we started for a year or two. We were doing some weekly gigs, uh-huh. you know, dinner music at some restaurants and local spots. Um, and just as a duet where I was doing mostly percussion and I'd been doing stuff like that for a long time, but to keep things fresh, I always wanted to to work on the the background vocal bag. Right. And what better opportunity to do that than when you have a great singer that you're singing with or playing with, and you get to play with them all the time. So mm-hmm. I kind of I kind of forced my hand a little bit with that. I'm like, I'm just going to start bringing a vocal mic. Is that okay? <laughs> She's like, uh, Colin, I don't know. <laughs> I've heard you sing before, <laughs> but you know, it, it just it took. A, uh, convincing her just to give me the opportunity and kind of uh, begging her to like what what do you want me to sing here mm-hmm. and how in the world does that note work over what you're playing there? Mm-hmm. Yeah. it's it's interesting that you uh, talk about sort of taking it upon yourself to to start singing and to to build your background chops because mm-hmm. I I think a lot of drummers they you know either either they never get into that or or they only get into it when when they're asked to. Or when they're forced to, right. or when they audition for a band that says you must sing backup, or like that's when they do it. Sure. Um, but have you have you found that like taking that initiative? And I mean, it was in a, a friendly place with Adron. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't recommend just like asking to sing backup on any old gig. <laughs> but but what what is what has that done for you in in terms of being well rounded? And and what made you want to take that initiative to to start singing? Hmm. I think. Um I'm always trying to do something new. I'm always that I really get off on the feeling of, of learning something and being able to incorporate it into what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, but at the same time, that should always be in deference to the music that you're playing. Right. Um, if I show up to a gig and the only thing that I really feel like I can add to it is playing a shaker, that's fine with me and I love it. Mm-hmm. But with Adron, there's so, there's so many doors you could open so many avenues you can take with the music that I end up doing a lot. And one of the most amazing things about her music, obviously, is the harmonic content. Mm-hmm. And I feel like um, it benefits a lot from having another voice there. Mm-hmm. So it was just an, it was another challenge yeah. <laughs> to try to do that. And since you started doing that, have, have you only done it with, with Adron or have you been singing with other people? Oh, I've been singing with a lot of other people, too. Yeah. Um, 
I, I should go back and say that I started my, my background vocal stuff started uh, singing with some other Latin bands and they were just like, everybody sing the chorus together. And it was all in Spanish and I have right. no idea what they're saying. So <laughs> just sort of shouting and, and, and that was, that was fun. That was a nice uh, doorstep getting into singing a lot more complicated stuff. Almost every time I've seen you play, you're you're playing some sort of a hybrid kit, and you'll like you'll usually have you know the kick and snare, but there's almost always mm-hmm. shakers and bells and and extra stuff on the hi hat and and just tons and tons of sounds. Mm-hmm. Um, what what made you uh, want to do all that instead of just going into percussion or just going into drum set? Well, that's going back pretty far, I think. Let's go back. Yeah, I, th- I think I've always felt like there <clears throat> there are so many great drummers in, in Atlanta, especially that grew up playing in the church mm-hmm. and that have chops for days. Mm-hmm. And I'm so happy that those people exist in part because I don't have to do that. <laughs> it's like, I don't ever have to worry about the music world being, you know, the music world wanting for gospel drummers right. and guys that come from that background. Um, and that's a sound that's become so pervasive and it's wonderful and it's, but it's kind of been liberating for me to realize I'm never going to do that. Mm-hmm. I don't want to, mm-hmm. that's not where I come from. So when I was, um, when I was much younger, I was doing mostly classical percussion, piano and drum set. Now just how, what is much younger? Uh, middle school, high school. So okay. 14, 15. When I was first really trying to. Um, when I was first realizing that I was developing a sound of my own mm-hmm. and so, kind of okay. deciding where I wanted to go musically, you know, classical piano, mm-hmm. drum set mm-hmm. and classical percussion and classical. Okay. Right. right. All, all the stuff you do in school, you know, yeah. the, the, the typical well-rounded thing. Mm-hmm. But, um, but hand percussion is never a thing that you really get into in schools yeah. in the United States, at least mm-hmm. it's sort of this other, this other thing. And it's, it's, it's like, oh, I mean, if you if you come from a Latin American country, then that's sort of a thing that you can you can own. But otherwise, it's it's saved for music conservatories that you ever get a chance to study that stuff. Right. I uh, interviewed a, a percussionist in L.A. named Cassandra Kokosius uh, mm-hmm. a little while back, and she studied hand percussion at Cal Arts, mm-hmm. which is one of the few places you can do that. But we sure. we were talking about how in high school and especially in college. If you want to do percussion, it's either the classical thing or the drum set thing. Absolutely. No. Um, so, what was your? How how did you get into to all that hand I, percussion? I guess the the impetus happened at the. I went to an arts high school, a performing arts high school in Savannah, Savannah Arts Academy. You grew up in Savannah, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and they had a they worked out something with at the time it was called Savannah on Stage and later became the Savannah Music Festival. Mm-hmm. But they worked out an artist artist and residency program at the school with the winner of the piano competition, I believe in two thousand two two thousand three. Uh-huh. Who's an Israeli guy named Alan Yavnai who teaches at Berkeley. Okay. So he won the competition. He started coming down to the school once a month. Um, to, to give two or three days of master classes and work with the big band and do all of this crazy stuff. I mean, the, the, the man is brilliant. And he, as part of the deal, he always wanted to bring with him a percussionist, which looking back, I was like, man, what a random choice. Mm-hmm. But that was, that was the turning point in my, in my life for percussion. So for about a year, he would bring guy, down this guy named Ernesto Diaz, who's the hand percussion, one of the hand percussion instructors at Berkeley. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember sitting in a sitting in rehearsal one day, the first time they came down, and he pulled down he pulled down the congas from you know from the closet. I was like, "Wow, someone's going to play those things. They're just always over there, and we use them in some pieces. Where you know you're playing in wind band, and like hit these things with sticks. Right, right. <laughs> we need we need that sound. But he pulled them down, and he he hit one slap on it, and I had never heard anything like that before. Just turning around, I'm like, do that again. What, what was that sound you just brought out of that drum? I've never heard that. And I was hooked. And every time, every month they would come down, I would spend two days in a practice room with this guy, just getting him to, to just diving in as much as I could, getting yeah. him to show me stuff. Yeah. Um, but it was always something that I, I couldn't do in, regularly in school. There wasn't an instructor regularly. So I, 
bought a set of congas. I studied with him every month. Um, when I moved to Atlanta a few years later, I totally immersed myself in the Latin music scene where mm-hmm. I could get my hands on these instruments. And it just really, it was like this, um, you know, it was like this secret obsession where I had all of the stuff at school. I could be working on my jazz chops and going to the sessions. And that was still what I think I convinced myself that I wanted to do for years mm-hmm. and still be well-rounded with all of the classical stuff. But whenever I wasn't in school or in that mindset, all I really wanted to do was go and get my hands on this, all this other, all these other sounds. These sounds were just so exotic and they were in everything, you know, they were in every kind of music when you start opening your ears up. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and that fast forward 10 years later and I probably have 40 tambourines in my house <laughs> that I use that, that, I, that I pick from when I'm doing a recording session. Like it's gotta be the perfect one. Right. <laughs> It's cool you mentioned how how pervasive percussion is just mm-hmm. in in every kind of music like in in learning pop music or whatever mm-hmm. um you know it, i mean if you're if you got a bunch of tunes to learn for you know a wedding band or something mm-hmm. almost no matter what era it is like 60s 70s up until today mm-hmm. you're going to hear triangle hand drums congas uh tambourine shakers like mm-hmm. all kinds of shit absolutely um so was that uh, did like did you see the potential right away for for you to to like combine the drum set and the percussion into into what you do today? I think I tried. Uh, <laughs> I, I tried, and, and you know, I saw what worked, but um, but by and large, they were still two separate worlds. So I would I was involved in some salsa bands in college and some Brazilian pop bands, and it was always there was a drummer and there was percussion. Mm-hmm. So they were, they were still pretty, pretty separate. Um, and you usually I mean, were the percussion in that equation. Uh, one of the, either other. or, it, yeah. yeah okay. it, I, I kind of split my time from that and, and that was good. I mean, I never wanted to be pigeonholed yeah. as a musician and that was something I always tried to avoid. So, mm-hmm. um, but as far as incorporating them together, that sort of happened Naturally, over the, about 10 years, I was playing with a guitar player where we would just play duet mm-hmm. music, you know, sometimes six nights a week for, for years. And it was all instrumental, no vocals. And he was a seven-string classical guitar player, and he just wanted percussion. But, you know, I was not satisfied just showing up with a pair of congas, some wind chimes, and a pandeiro. I wanted to do more and more, so I kept adding on and... And trying my hand at, at doing more things simultaneously to really fill out the sound. Yeah, and um, and that I think that sort of ended up being where I started putting the kits together. Where mm-hmm. I have some sort of kick drum action with the mm-hmm. foot, um, some sort of hi hat or left foot clave thing happening, and then shakers all over the <laughs> literally shakers just like sit around all over the place. Right. And, you know, snare. So it ended up being just this kind of uh, morphed thing. Yeah. That that I that now it's like whatever gig I get called for, I like to kind of craft the kit around the music that I'm playing. Yeah, and I, so I I want to talk about that, but but first I want to talk about the um, basically the practice you had to do to to develop what what you do and what I see you doing today, mm-hmm. because on the average gig you're you're just busting out uh a lot of really complex coordination that that doesn't it doesn't really look or sound complex but if you're a drummer and you know how coordination works you know i i look at you and i'm like that's some shit he had to practice (laughs) maybe for a while i don't know i mean did did that coordination just come to you um I mean, I think I've always said the best practice is when you're playing in front of people. Mm-hmm. So there's some of the some of the basic stuff. Um, yeah, I would sit at home and shed for a long time, but there's only so long that I can that I can really zone in and sit there playing a shaker and a left foot clave while playing a tumbao pattern with my left hand before I just start going crazy. You know, right. If there's not a song there. It's kind of hard to just do that. But but just getting the basic stuff down and then just getting on a gig and hanging out with people and, and working that stuff out has always, that's been my practice for, for most of my professional career. That's been the majority of where I work out that coordination stuff, those sounds, 
what works, what combinations don't work. Yeah. You know. And I, I was also really uh, just sort of, um, uh, it, it made me happy uh, to, to see and hear really complex coordination like that being used uh, for such sort of uh, selfless and, and musical mm-hmm. aims. Because, you know, we, we see so many DVDs with Marco Miniman and Thomas Lang or whatever, and they're busting out the left foot clave thing, and they're soloing in seven <laughs> with two other limbs, yeah. and it's amazing. It's I mean, amazing. it, it yeah. really is. Absolutely. But yeah. it's I, like I don't find it musical, and and that you know it was it was just great to see someone apply that that really extreme independence mm-hmm. um, for for really musical uh, results. Were you ever uh, sort of tempted to um, really develop the solo chops and the and the solo aspect of that coordination? I think to some degree everybody's tempted. You know, we we've all seen those videos and and are all impressed. Mm-hmm. It always leaves an impression on us. Like wow, you know, I could probably do that. I could. Pr- I mean, if I sat down, we all want to believe that. You know, I could probably work that stuff out and and get on a clinic somewhere and make my own DVD and and become a superstar for soloing but that but that thought is very, always very fleeting for me like well, where does that where does that get me what is that what's the good in that if right. i'm not if i'm not playing with other people and making music for people that don't know anything about music mm-hmm. and they can still shed a tear or get up and dance or or whatever have some sort of uh, extreme emotional response the people who don't know what's happening then what good is what i'm doing you know yeah it, it, there is that i think i guess the selflessness there because I, it, it 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 all comes down to the whole thing the whole picture of what's happening on on stage or in a corner or whatever the yeah the hell you're playing i remember uh it reminds me when i saw Derek roddy give a drum clinic mm-hmm. when i was living in kansas city um and I was I was friends with uh, one of the guys that worked at the drum shop there, Explorers, and they were sponsoring the whole thing. So my buddy invited me to just kind of come hang out before the show mm-hmm. and, you know, talk with Derek and, and just hang or whatever. And it was at a high school and he was traveling with one other guy, just like a roadie assistant type guy. And they, they were traveling in a van full of his drums mm-hmm. and they unloaded the van and they set him up and they set up the amps and the mics and all that shit. And he did the clinic and he played with tracks mm-hmm. and I like, I didn't hang out afterwards, but I realized like him and this one other guy are going to put the drums back in the van and drive the van to the next clinic <laughs> where it just doesn't sound like very much fun. You know, like I want to play music with bands. I want to yeah. do shows and just, Absolutely. you know, driving your shit around in a van playing solo mm-hmm. Doesn't you know? That doesn't sound very fun. <laughs> Unless the guy helping you set up is your is your boyfriend or your brother or something. Unless someone you really want to hang out with, right. For a couple of weeks, right? But even then, the playing experience is like, well, let's play with these tracks again. Yeah, let's bust out the double kick clinic again. <laughs> like, I, yeah. I think I remember probably the best, in some ways the best, but in a lot of ways the worst drum clinic I ever saw. Um. Was by, was by I was in college. It was Billy Joel's main drummer for years, Liberty DeVito, uh-huh. who's just the saltiest New York <laughs> Italian guy you've ever met in real life. Billy Joel got a salty New York guy to play yeah, drums. Go figure. Big yeah. shocker. <laughs> I mean, the, the guy was so crass and so just brutally honest with everything he did. You know, literally showed up and he played with tracks, um, but he played with all Billy Joel tracks. Mm-hmm. And the only thing he said, we show up to the clinic. Hey, I'm Liberty DeVito. This is what I did for 30 years. <laughs> and he hit play, and he just played the loudest shit you've ever heard. Just like playing along with these tracks for 35 minutes. Uh, he stopped at one point. He's like, this song, I told Billy not to release this song. It sucked. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, it was, so the clinic itself is like, man, what am I learning here? But maybe later I, I look back and think, that dude is is maybe a little bit like me. He doesn't want to just sit there and chop in front of a bunch of people and Mm -hmm. say, look at all this stuff I do. He's saying, this is what I do. I played songs Mm -hmm. and everybody knows a song that he played on. Right. And nothing, usually nothing about the drums stood out in those recordings. He played the song. Every song he did something different. 
and he really crafted it. I mean, yeah. And I guess that was that was my point with all this coordination you're doing because c- to look at you from the drummer's standpoint, my drummer brain is like, "Holy shit, look at all this stuff he's doing." <laughs> but if I just listen or if I hear it on a recording, nothing stands out. Mm-hmm. Like everything is appropriate and tasteful and cool and mm-hmm. so that's that's my my commendation. Well, to thanks. You. <laughs> yeah. Um you mentioned uh crafting setups for you know individual groups or or songs or whatever do you have a do you have a formula for doing that or is it just kind of in the moment formula no there's not really (laughs) are there any voices that like you can't live without no not not really really no if if it all just depends on whatever the music is Hmm. i mean typically especially if i'm playing with a songwriter there are things that they can't live without, and that, mm. that typically follows. Or that they can't live with. <laughs> or that, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, we've all been that. Like, yeah. do not bring a crash cymbal to this gig. You will not hit a crash cymbal. No triangles. You know, nothing above 8,000 hertz. You know? um, but, no, not not really a formula. I mean, maybe to the extent that, I mean, I'm, I'm right-handed. I always put the kick on the right side. But, mm-hmm. but um. I've actually been thinking about trying to change that up lately too. <laughs> well, yeah, but you're 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 right-handed, but right away I think of like when most of the time when you play a shaker, if I'm not mistaken, you do it left-handed. That's so you, like you play the shaker left-handed and like a backbeat on you know with your right hand. So I yeah, mean, I guess that's true. You're that, switched around already. Yeah. Well, like I said, I think all that came from doing a multi-percussion rig for years and and having a right-handed conga setup. So mm-hmm. I'm, you know. Yeah. If your shaker's in your right hand, you can't really be crossing over too much to hit the low drum. So right. So yeah, that was just a natural thing. But also, if you're, it seems to make more sense that way. It's a little logical. If you're playing a shaker in your left hand, your right hand's free to move around the kit a little more. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's totally logical, and and that's that's what made me notice it because mm-hmm. you know I've I've done some like you know some shaker action with the backbeat whatever mm-hmm. before, but I always I'm used to having right hand lead. Right. So I, you know, did the shaker with my right hand, and as soon as I saw you, I was like, "Look at all the snare and tom stuff he can do <laughs> with his right hand." And, yeah. you know, um, that makes that makes total sense. Um, but I try not to be too too formulaic with it. I mean, if it works, it works, and not everybody's writing, you know, a song that sounds like nothing else you've ever heard. So right. There are certain things that work and certain things that don't, but I I do try to always approach the gig song by song. What am I, what am I, how am I going to benefit or how, how's the song going to benefit from what I'm doing most appropriately and most effectively? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And that's sort of, a, that's sort of the fun game every, about every new gig. I think, I think sometimes like if I was a bass player, I'd probably get bored or, or if I was, if I just had one instrument that I was working with and every gig I just had to show up and that's all I had. I mean, I don't know. I mean, it's amazing that people can do that and, mm-hmm. and, find some way to still give to a song but there's something exciting about trying to develop and craft that whole palette for every gig that you have right which of my 40 tambourines is going to work for this exactly (laughs) (laughs) what part of my body am i going to hang it from (laughs) to jiggle at this one spot (laughs) you mentioned college Mm -hmm. where did you go to college um, I started my college career at Florida State University studying with Leon Anderson. Okay. And I was not there for very long. And then... <laughs> Do you, you care to say why? Or? Yeah, no, no, not really. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Well, it was... It, Tallahassee was not the city for me. So, right. Um, I realized that pretty quickly. And, you know, it's a great school. It's a great music school. But mm-hmm. the, the town was not... Um, didn't, huh. didn't support a wide enough array of music and musicians for me at the time. So gotcha. I ended up moving to Atlanta mm-hmm. and then finished my degree at Georgia State. Okay. And who'd you study with there? A lot of people. <laughs> I started with a guy named Billy Dennett, who's the, the drum set instructor when I started. I studied classical stuff with Stuart Gerber. I studied drum set then with Kina Boto for four years. Mm-hmm. I was there for a while. <laughs> yeah. Um, Tell people about Kinaboto. Because uh, since since I've gotten here, yeah. I've heard a lot about Kinaboto. Mm-hmm. And it's, he sounds like somebody that people should hear about. Oh, absolutely. He, he's sort of like um, Atlanta's 
musical Dalai Lama. <laughs> when I so Kinaboto is a, a self-given name. Mm-hmm. Um, he is a one of the most fabulous drum set players I've ever heard. You know, a consummate artist in every sense of the word. Mm-hmm. He's he's taken, I guess you could call him pilgrimages down to Belize for many years, where he learned all about drum building. Hmm. chopping down a tree, hollowing out the wood, yeah. uh, skinning it up. So he's developed his own drums called the Aya Drums. Hmm. And has since, uh, he has a group called the Aya Drummers, and he has a, his whole, you know, folkloric language that he develops um, on the drums. The first <laughs> the first lesson we ever had, he was just, come, come over to my apartment, and we'll, we'll hang out, we'll just play some hand drums, which I thought was great. I was like, okay. Wonderful. There's a, a teacher here that, that has his own hand drum style, his own percussion uh, half of his brain. He's also teaching drum set, so I can get all of this stuff. Um, and I show up to the house, and it's the most minimalist home I've ever seen. Like 300 square feet. Uh, it's, got, <laughs> it's got some drums in the corner, a bicycle, and a bed that he made. <laughs> like the, the bed frame that he made. And, wow. He just he he lives. I mean, bef- he has a family now, but before maybe ten years ago, he was living like an ascetic, almost you know, wow. urban urban ascetic. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but that's him as a person. Him as a as an artist is 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 just one of the most beautiful things you know you could ever experience is getting to play with him or or just be in a room with him making music. Mm-hmm. It's um, it's pure artistry and pure honesty. And he had kind of a former life as as a full time tu- touring jazz mm-hmm. drummer, correct? Yeah, he toured with Nina Freelon for fifteen years, I think. Okay. Um, and his his former name was Woody Williams. Woody Williams, right? Yeah. So if you if you search YouTube or whatever, you'll yeah, absolutely yeah. Mm-hmm. cool. And we'll we'll put links up for for him and Adron and all these people you're talking about. Yeah, but uh, but yeah, Kinaboto is a, a name that pops up frequently mm-hmm. around Atlanta and is invariably sort of uh, in, in reverence. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. He, you know, it's hard to catch him. He doesn't play. He's not on the scene all the time. But yeah. Like I said, he's got a family and, and um, he's doing his own thing now. Mm-hmm. He's always, any encounter that you have with him is always uh, a good one. Yeah. It always leaves an impression. So yeah. Studying with him for, for, three or four years was one of the highlights of my musical uh, growing up, I think. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. And you did one of the things that um, I, I recommend to most college students is to pick, pick a city where you want to live and play Mm -hmm. and go to school there. Right. Um, So talk about your transition from, from, you know, academic life into professional life in Atlanta. Oh, that's a, that's a fun subject. So, (laughs) so in that, I, there's no way to do that without um, without talking about the whole uh, secret obsession with percussion and that that kind of being the the scene that I really um, came into my own mm-hmm. um, dealing with. You know, I, getting when you go to school, if you're a jazz drummer, everyone always hears the same stuff. Go out and hit the jam sessions. Up. Go out and cut your teeth. All mm-hmm. this all this lingo that ended up just not resonating with me as time went went by. Um, and I did, you know, playing the wedding gigs, playing all the, the jazz gigs you're supposed to do, learning tunes, all of this stuff. Um, but then I met uh, the guitar player I was talking about earlier, the seven-string guitar player that I played with for 10 years. Mm-hmm. I met him uh, through another friend of mine named Raphael, who's a fantastic drummer, percussionist. And um, through him, he sort of introduced me into this whole scene of working uh Latin musicians. Yeah. And I started playing gigs. I started getting gigs immediately. And wow. my interest in percussion, I guess, was enough to <laughs> to propel me into that scene. Because, um, you know, at this point, I'd been playing some hand drums. I've been playing some hand drums for six or seven years. Um, so I had a little bit of that worked out. But just getting on the scene and, and that opening up my ears to so many different things. Yeah. And I remember a pivotal moment for me, um, academic versus moving into a, a real world situation was was playing at this uh, this nightclub in Atlanta with this Brazilian pop band. 
about all my friends. It was, the band's not around anymore. They're called Rua Six. Um, and I, we used to go and, and sit in with them a lot on Friday nights and it'd be me and two other percussionists and drums, guitar, bass, uh, lead guitar. And we'd end the night with a huge samba batucada uh, drum line. Wow. And, I've, you know, everybody on stage is sweating. Everyone in the audience is sweating and dancing and, you know, beers flying everywhere. <laughs> and it was so much positive energy. Yeah. And I look around and everyone on stage is smiling. Like it's impossible not to smile at one another. Like this is the first time I think I've been on stage in my life where everyone in the audience is having an amazing time and everyone on stage is having an amazing time. When I, when that, when that sort of hit me, it's like never in my life playing jazz gigs and this is nothing against jazz mm-hmm. uh, as a as a pursuit, right? But I've never been on a gig before where every musician was so um, egoless that they're just looking around and they're just grooving and having a good time and smiling at one another. Yeah, and like that's I was like that's the experience that I want to have on stage. Mm-hmm. I don't want I don't want to be on stage where everyone is so sucked up into their own egos. The, thinking about what's the next cool thing I can play right. to impress someone. Right. And jazz is not the only place that happens. Absolutely not. Yeah. Absolutely not. Um, so, and I, I would, I want to play songs. Yeah. I want to, you know, get on stage with a bunch of dudes that just want to groove their asses off and people dance or people, whatever the, you know, whatever the impulse is or whatever the result is, but to be on stage with people who are really, there with each other yeah. and being present together. Yeah. You reminded me a lot of uh, something that percussionist Cassandra mentioned because mm-hmm. she went to DePaul University in Chicago mm-hmm. to study classical percussion. And while there, outside of school, she got turned on to flamenco music. Mm-hmm. And that opened up the whole world of, of hand percussion and, and world music and all that. But, you know, the, the point is you had a similar experience where, like, you're, you're going to school and studying certain things, but you were also open to other music and other people that were active in your area. And that's where you found like, well, this is what I want to do. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I think it's, it's important uh, for, for college students to absolutely, you know, college offers a lot of uh, career paths mm-hmm. that are, are lucrative and fulfilling and, and all that. But if you, if you get the blinders on and just spend all your time on campus and aren't, out in the city, mm-hmm. you know, with where the actual music is happening. Yeah. You know, there's a lot, there's a lot to be discovered there. There's a lot to be discovered. Yeah. yeah. Especially in a place like Atlanta mm-hmm. or Chicago or, you know, any, any big city. Yeah. And some of the small cities too. I grew up in Santa Fe. You grew up in Savannah mm-hmm. and, and, you know, they're probably not going to get much national attention, but there is really cool music and musicians mm-hmm. doing cool stuff, even in those small markets. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Trying to, Making the making the effort to get out and put yourself in maybe less than uh, familiar territory, mm-hmm. musically or socially or whatever, it's just it's it's for me it's been the biggest benefit. Yeah, you know, to really yeah. opening my ears up to new things. And interesting that you mentioned socially too, because right. I, I think college can be kind of you know it's supposed to be a socially stimulating environment, mm-hmm. but I think it can also be stifling. Absolutely, and people who get out of college, especially musicians don't know how to hang. Right. Absolutely, <laughs> yeah. And, and, and hence you get most, I would say the, the majority of people who go from studying music in school and continue in a career involving music, the majority of them are going to end up teaching. They're going to remain in this this cycle of academia mm-hmm. and not get out and, and put themselves outside the box a little bit. Mm-hmm. You say, wow, there's, there's, there's a guy over here who's never been to school in his life. He's never studied anything, but I would... I want to listen to him play. Yeah. He can teach me something. I want to play with that guy. I want to play with that guy. He's having a ball. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's funny. I think in a lot of ways, socially and, and there are a lot of blinders that school can put on. Mm-hmm. Um, when I, you're speaking of that, I know quite a few guys that, that play around full time. They're full time musicians in Atlanta. I've never studied anything. They, you know, they've learned everything that they know playing on the street, playing with bands, mm-hmm. hanging out, yeah. just being on the scene, right. not studying. And and some of them have gotten farther than others, but, you know, some people I know, uh, you know, I'd rather have a guy with a good attitude that's that can hang. I'd rather hire them for the gig 
any day of the week than someone who just plays the part and right. asks for their check and then leaves and doesn't, you know, doesn't hang out. The other uh, group that you're pretty active with is uh, Blair Crimmins. Mm-hmm. I forgot. It's Blair Crimmins and the... And the Hookers. And the <laughs> How could I forget How that? How could you forget? Yeah. Blair Crimmins and the Hookers. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Quite a departure stylistically from from Adron, or you know, it's not a straight up singer songwriter thing. What? How would you describe Blair Crimmins? Um, well, Blair is a is a songwriter. He for many years he was in a pretty um, pretty well renowned uh, rock band in Atlanta for years called Bishop Don, mm-hmm. and had sort of a massive transition about six or seven years ago, and decided he wanted to only write uh, in the in the style of um, 1920s and 30s ragtime and Dixieland music. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, wonderful. <laughs> and, and he's and he's an, an incredibly clever uh, craftsman, uh, lyrical craftsman especially. And he's you know he put together the band the Hookers and and we tour around a lot. Um, and for me, when he when he called me for the gig, he he had been transitioning out of his previous drummer and called me for a, a string of gigs. And I was like, well, I'm never done that before that mm-hmm. sounds awesome yeah. <laughs> and of course I want to get on the road and so right. um, I did that and that's so he's, it's um, the band is consists of tenor banjo piano upright bass three horns and drum set and guitar uh, yeah he, he doubles between oh on the banjo, and, banjo okay. and, and sort of a gypsy guitar right right which is a it's a it's it's a pretty cool thing it's a lot of fun yeah you know? and that that seems like a um a gig where you you don't really get to be as as creative with your parts or your voicings or your orchestration or whatever you know as you do with somebody like Adron. Um, I suppose so. Yeah, there's not there's not an infinite amount of freedom with with playing in that group, as opposed to with Adron, who's I'm I'm kind of involved heavily in her writing process, so I get to craft whatever I want. Right. We we take it to you know take the song to Mars or wherever the hell's going to go. Right. But playing in a band that has a pretty strict, um, relatively speaking, a stricter, um, form song form. Yeah. It's, I, I think it's just a more concrete genre. Abs- absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And, and even that, you know, there's been some departures from that, uh, lately. We just got finished cutting a record and some of the stuff on there is, is closer to like a, a Harry Nielsen backbeat vibe. Mm-hmm. You know? But, it's 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 a lot of fun, you know. Yeah, it's been it's been good for me, absolutely. Stretch you a little bit stylistically. And... Stretch stylistically, it it kind of it scratches that jazz itch that I haven't been able to scratch <laughs> for a while. Right, right. Uh, although it's it's not you know it's not completely out of the box. It's a it's got a, a box with it, but the you know the the best thing about that band are the the dudes that I get to hang with. Yeah, you know, being on the road with the right guys, like I said, is you know it's it's the it makes it all worth it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I wonder if you have the same experience I do in, in those situations where you, you don't get to be super creative. You just mm-hmm. have a more specific role to play. Um, and in, in situations like that, I, I, I really look forward to situations like that because uh, I feel like I'm, I'm actually enjoying the music more. I'm thinking less about, mm-hmm. you know, the crazy shit that I've come up with that I now have to execute. <laughs> um, and I just kind of get to play backbeats and, and listen to the music go by. And sure. like, do you have that experience? Absolutely. I, th- I think no matter what you do, um, the sign of like a real musician is someone who can find, um, who can find joy and find something to learn from any situation. Because because there's no one who can play everything all the time. It's right. just naturally gifted with that. So I, you know, in that group, I'd never played in a Dixieland band before, and 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 the idea maybe for some people like, wow, you just want to play like two beat all night long. <laughs> um, and a lot of times it is that, but being able to do that consistently and really, like I said, get people dancing, mm-hmm. have that connection with people. Um, yeah, it's it, I have no problem sitting there playing one thing for an hour you know? <laughs> yeah yeah it's great and you mentioned uh recording um mm-hmm. it has you've you've done a fair amount of recording over over the years in atlanta um has has most of that been with the you know the artists and the groups that you play with or do you do some hired gun work for uh you know whoever needs your so, services 
probably the majority of the recording work that I've done has been hired gun, mm-hmm. freelance stuff. You know, someone um, calling me and they're, they're like, we need a conga track on this song. Come, mm-hmm. come in and do that. Or, um, or we need, you know, we need a drummer for this whole record. Or, right. You know, and it's always something new and that's, that's really exciting too. Yeah. Um, and has that come about through cultivating relationships with artists, engineers, producers, all of the above? All of the above. Yeah. Absolutely. Where do producers hang out? <laughs> we know where the musicians hang out. Where do the producers hang out? Uh, usually smoking in the back of coffee shops or, or just hanging out in studios. You know? Right. Um, meeting producers and engineers. Yeah, I've met most most of the producers I've met have been through an artist. Mm-hmm. You meet an artist at a gig. They're there watching someone you're playing with or or they're coming to hear you or, or whatever it is. And they introduce you to their producer and... You know the network just continues to grow. Mm-hmm. Um, trying to trying to make everybody, of course, you never can make everybody happy. But with the intention, I feel like on stage and off stage is always to to really make a personal connection with someone and be friendly. Yeah, that's that gets you everywhere. Right, right. So, when is uh, the Blair Crimmins record coming out? It should be out by the end of May, I think. Okay. I think it's going to be a late spring release so we can tour on this summer. Cool. Um, yeah, I'm, lo- I'm looking forward to that one. Uh, had a few others come out this year that I worked on last year. Another one I'm excited about is the the Adron record that we've been kind of recording for the past five years. <laughs> it's, it's one of those projects. You yeah, know, yeah. So sometimes you get in a studio and you record an album in two days. Sometimes you record a song every couple of months for five years mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> but um but that one's yeah. that one is imminent that one that one will be out this year cool yeah cool mm-hmm. looking forward to that and are you gonna tour with her as well I assume mm-hmm. absolutely cool well great man thanks so much for talking absolutely good luck thank you brother don't you want to play with that guy don't you want to hang out with that guy uh, if you go to workingdrummer.net and look at the pictures of Colin on the page for this episode uh, you'll see that he's got a big smile in, in almost all of them. Uh, it's really obvious that he enjoys the music he plays and the people he plays with, so it's no wonder he's so busy. He brings the positive, he brings the chill, and uh, he's also just a sublime badass, so that helps. Uh, once again, share some pics and videos with us on social media using the hashtag WorkingDrummer. Leave us a rating and review on iTunes if you see fit. Thanks in advance for that, and thanks as always for listening. Take care. Take care.